2nd Corinthians chapter 11 and uh, starting in verse 16. It's really going to pick up right off of what we talked about last week. So if you were here last week, good. If not, uh, you'll catch up. Uh, It says in verse 16, I say again. So in other words, in another way, he said this before. Let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool that I may boast a little. So that gives you an idea of where we're going today for the rest of this chapter and the first part of 12. It could be summed up in one phrase, Paul's going to brag a little. Um, That's not normal for the uh, Christian to brag. You know, I mean, pride goes before a fall. You know, we know uh, we're supposed to be humble And Paul is very humble, but he's coming up against these teachers who are saying, you know what, Um, we we excel beyond you because we know a thing or two. We can talk better than you. Our voice isn't squeaky like yours. Our, uh, you know, he just said, my speech, it's contemptible, you know, with you guys. We know that Paul had an illness. Um, It had to do with his eyes. And what it caused was his eyes to run all the time. And it wasn't just like running, like crying. It was like white pus falling out of the corners of your eyes. It was, it's an eye condition that was prevalent over there in those days. So imagine if, you know, he was up here talking this morning and he has this white gunk falling out of the corners of his eyes. He's wiping it and go, you know, it's like, I was weak among you, he would write. Um, uh, you found me contemptible. I mean, but you put up with me anyway, you know, he later wrote. Um, but this is Paul. He, he had some physical issues. I, I understand where he's coming from. You know, it's, it's funny. We all end up in life in a place where we can relate to where he is this morning. But this is, this is personal, guys. For you and me, as we walk with the Lord, we want to boast a little, but then we go, that ah, pride comes before a fall. I'm not going to boast. So he wrote this this morning, so you don't have to boast, and I don't have to. So instead of that, we can see what the heart behind the Christian should be, and then we can all be quiet. And you can all be happy as you leave here today knowing, I've got this or I don't have this. As you, you know, look at yourself, comparing yourself to where Paul's at. Um, so he says, don't think of me as a fool, but I'm going to boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord. In other words, this isn't inspired, as it were, things the Lord gave me to tell you. It is inspired text, but this is coming from Paul's perspective today. As it were, he said it's foolishly in this confidence of boasting. So he says, I'm stepping out of the Lord told me to tell you such and such, and what I'm going to do today is just tell you from my heart kind of where I'm at when I'm looking at all these other guys that say they're like us. Remember last week, the false teachers, they said, we want to be seen like you, but he said, they're nothing like me. They just want to be seen like that. He says in verse uh, 18, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly. In other words, other people, which if y'all don't know what we're talking about, go home. There's a, if you have cable, look up TBN. Look at a bunch of the fools on there. They're, they, they carry on and on. They all got the same hairdo. Have you noticed? You know, 
um, and just watch some of them. You know, we're talking about those that would fleece you for your money or, or false uh, healing. Uh, I don't want to make anybody mad, but if you listen to Benny Hinn, you know, somebody like that, they're far out there. You know, that's why I'll mention them. I don't, I'm not big on names, but I'll mention some of those. If you listen to him for 10 minutes, you can see there's a different spirit in that dude than's in the rest of us because he's just knocking people down, slaying them in the spirit. But where is the Bible? Where did the Lord go? Where did Jesus go? It's all about Mr. Benny. And um, so he's saying, look, compared to these guys, well, I'm going to boast. You want to you wanna say, I've got the spirit? Well, let's, let's boast a little this morning. You put up with these fools gladly since you yourselves are so wise. That's sarcasm dripping off of him. But if you put up with it, if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. So these other teachers are doing these things, either figuratively or literal, but they're doing all this to you and you put up with them. To our shame, I say that we were... Uh, too weak for that. <laughs> we were, in other words, we weren't strong enough to come and put on a show like that for you guys. No show here, Paul says. But in whatever anyone is bold, well, I speak foolishly, I'm bold also. So it says in the bragging, oh, I'm going to be foolish here and go down this road with you guys. Okay. Uh, verse 22, are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. So one of the things that these teachers would say is like, well, I am a Jew. What about you? Because they want to brag about, you know, where they come from. Well, I'm a Hebrew as well. Are they Israelites? Well, so am I. What's the difference, you would say? Well, the Israelites are from the nation Israel. Hebrews are those who follow Judaism. So you, you say you're real religious? Me too. Uh, you say that you're, you know, from the wonderful tribe of Israel, you know, uh, me too. Are you the seed of Abraham? So am I. He says, I'm the same as these guys. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. But I am more <laughs> in labors. Now, that, look, at this point, I would say he's fixing to delve into all the marvelous things he's done for the Lord. All of the teachings he's given, all the churches he's pastored or started, the missionary trips he's gone on. Nope. He's going to talk about all the stuff he's gone through. Why would you brag about that? We'll get to it. In labors. In other words, I've had to work harder in this than anyone. Laboring. In other words, I wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't have the cush missionary jobs. I had to work. And we know he did on his missionary trips. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, uh, above measure. Uh, he forgot, in other words, how many times that he had been beaten. Uh, in prisons more frequently, in other words, than those guys, and in deaths often. Now, that's weird. How many times you die, Paul? Uh, we know in uh, Lystra, which would be about 14 years prior to him writing this, that he was beaten, uh, or stoned rather, to uh, death, left for dead. He, the Lord brought him back to life. He gets up and goes back into the town and uh, keeps on you know, preaching to him. So, but here, the deaths is plural, so he's got some other deaths going on that we don't know about. Um, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Now, the law said uh, that you couldn't give anyone over 40 lashes uh, as a corporal punishment, so no one gave but 39. It's interesting because in the uh, 
Jewish culture, 40 is the number for judgment. 39 was the number for mercy. So you could consider yourself as having a lot of mercy if you'd only received 39 lashes. So he, uh, from the Jews, he received that. But then three times he says, I was beaten with rods. Well, that's talking, uh, so the Jews would use a whip when they were doing corporal punishments back then. Uh, the Romans would use a, a rod. So that means he was beaten by a different jurisdiction. Uh, very interesting. He says, once he was stoned. That's the Lystra, we were talking about that. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In other words, out in the middle of the ocean floating on my own. So probably followed one of those shipwrecks. But, um, you know, I've been out on the ocean. If some of y'all, we used to live in California a long time ago. We went to an island out there uh, called Catalina. And you get right off out in the middle between it. And you actually can't see either place, you know. And, um, so it's uh, you're out in the middle. We were out in what's called a catamaran, I think. It's a boat. It's got two fins, you know. And, and that silly thing got pretty rough. Um, we were given bad advice that the front of the ship was the smoothest place to be. And... Um, on the way back, we remedied that situation, I do remember. But uh, my dad, it was funny because he is a flatlander, I mean, uh, all the way. And he was very green by the time we got, got back. But, you know, th- that was a good boat ride, and it went well. Um, I, I don't know about the hurricane business. My granddad served in the uh, Army during World War II uh, and with, uh, uh, in Germany uh, with Patton and that bunch. So at the end of the war, they were coming back. And uh, they got it. They would, back in those days, put a lot of the troops on battleships, whatnot, to get them back home. And they got in the middle of a uh, hurricane in the Atlantic on the way back. And he, he talks about that story. And I won't go into all the details, but he, uh, he said one of the funnier stories, though, they were on there and everybody started getting so green and tossing their cookies. And so then, as the uh, Barf really was just going side to side in the ship under everybody's feet. He said then it was like a chain reaction. And he said the whole group of us were tossing our cookies and just one of those fun times, you know, in life. But I, I see those stories, you know, around me, and I, I'm just, I like land. Um, but uh, for Paul to be setting out in the deep during the day would be one thing. But can you imagine all night long floating in the water? A terrible place. But and he's not saying, I just, this is life. He's saying, these are the things that happened while I was trying to serve the Lord. Um, not in a day in the deep. It continues, in case you thought. 26, in journeys often, which back in these days, a journey could mean life-threatening uh, uh, issues. Uh, so he, in journeys often for the Lord. And then he mentions perils of water yet again. I can see this as a big thing. However, waters here isn't oceans. That word in the Greek means rivers. So, you know, back then, most of the rivers didn't have bridges across them. If you ever read stories about our own uh, west, when it was being settled, a lot of the wagon trains had come up to big rivers, uh, you know, the Missouri River, the Mississippi River, ones like that. And you can, you know, look up the stories of, of all of the problems they had crossing the rivers. It would have been huge. And back in these days, bridges weren't a common thing. So uh, perils trying to cross some rivers. Perils of robbers. Perils of my own countrymen. Uh, Perils of the Gentiles. Perils in the city. Perils in the wilderness. 
perils in the sea. And then he says, perils among false brethren. So if it wasn't you know, bad enough, once I got there, then there was false brethren in the church and they started railing against me. He keeps going in weariness and toil. Uh, it's, I'm getting weary reading through all this. Um, he lived it. Sleeplessness often, hunger and thirst and fastings often. Now that right there is interesting because this isn't spiritual fasting. So he's not saying I really was, you know, suffering as I fasted before the Lord. No, this is I'm starving to death. This, this is a fasting not because you wanted to, but because you were forced to it. Um, you know, and, and that's a different fasting. You know, one time I, uh, several years ago, but I stopped into my favorite uh, eating establishment at the time, Sonic. And uh, I grabbed some of their tea and about two hours later, I had a terrible time <laughs> upon me. But uh, it turns out I got food poisoning. And uh, so about two weeks and 14 pounds later, uh, yeah, that's, it's, a, it's like Jenny Craig has nothing on me. I lost weight now. And um, back in those days, I didn't weigh a whole lot. You know, I was about that big around. And I didn't have a lot to lose, but I lost it anyway. And I was weak. You know, you get through that. But that's fasting where you don't intend to. And uh, that's what he's talking about. He says, I'm, I was starved for, for one reason or another in cold and nakedness. Uh, and then he says in verse 28, besides the other things, you know, what comes upon me daily. So he went through all that stuff, and then he's got the normal stuff he just goes through every day, you know, the aches and pains of life, getting up in the morning and all that. And uh, One of those things is, was his deep concern for all the churches. So it, 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 in other words, it weighed him down. Now, what does that mean? That tells me he was a man of prayer because, you know, if somebody else's concern weighs you down, and this is the truth, okay? Some people here, you're a prayer warrior, and nobody's ever explained this to you, but there's some of us who when somebody's going through something, we go, that's terrible for you, and we just move on with life. Others, when you hear that somebody's going through something, you have a deep concern for them, and when you pray for them, you actually go into prayer for them on their behalf. In other words, you feel what they're feeling. You are going before the Lord in an intercessory way, praying for them. And, you know, it's, it's where you go to pray for somebody who's got a deep hurt and you end up in tears with them while you're praying. If you're that kind of person, that's a giftedness from the Lord to intercessory to be able to go in and pray for somebody like that, which is an awesome thing, but it's also a heavy thing. And he says, yeah, it's kind of heavy. When I'm praying for people, the deep concern for the churches. So he says, verse 29, well, who is weak? Well, after reading through that, I don't even want to talk about anything. You know, who's weak? Uh, am I not weak? Who's made to stumble? Uh, and I don't burn? with indignation. So he says, look, you know, even going through all of this, you, you want to say, I, I, who's, who, who of you has gone through this? Well, all of us are going to be kind of quiet at, the, at that list. You know, well, we haven't done that much. Uh, no matter what we go through, Paul seems to be able to, uh, to best us. And that's why he's bragging, because he's getting tired of not bragging and having these false teachers tell him what for. So, He's putting this down again so we don't have to. He says, if I must boast, 
which none of us have to, you know, but if you must, then I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. So he says, well, if I'm going to boast, it's not going to be about all the great things that I have done, gone through, all of that. Because here's the thing, in this room, any of us talk about all the stuff you've gone through, somebody else in here can best you, okay? So though Paul has said all this, the fact is it's not a real good way to go. He said it was foolish for him to go down this path, remember? Um, But he's doing it for our benefit. Now, if you're going to boast, boast in things concerning my infirmity. I don't even want to explain that yet. We're going to go on because he's going to explain that better as we get along, okay? In other words, he wants to boast in his weaknesses, not his accomplishments or what he's gone through. We always say, see, the world tells you the things you go through are what makes you who you are. That's what the world says. So we boast in what we've gone through. In fact, I mean, like, you know, it's refreshing our minds, presidential candidates. Um, You know, anybody running for office will boast about what they have accomplished or what they've gone through. And all the underdog story. We love those. Oh, look, he started down here, and then he did this and did that and served here, suffered this, and now he's running for whatever office. Um, You know, that pulls on our heartstrings, the underdog stories. We are Christians. We're not, it's not underdog stories, okay? We, none of us deserve to be here. It's It's a simple story that we all share. We were all headed to hell. Jesus came along. We put our belief and our trust in him. And because of Jesus... We're headed to heaven, not because of what we go through. Okay, so that's, that puts us all back on the same level, which is why Paul says, this is foolish that we're bragging about this stuff. I have to because the other side's bragging about all the stuff they've gone through and what they're doing and what they're capable of. He says, well, let me, let's just let, let's level the playing field and we're going to bring it back to Jesus at the end. So he's going to burst about his infir- uh, boast on his infirmities. Verse 31, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed forever, well, he knows that I am not lying. A good place to be. In Damascus, he's going to add one more thing here. It's like, one more thing. <laughs> In Damascus, this is back, by the way, years ago, uh, 14, it'd be about 17 years before this. He just got saved, remember, on the road to Damascus, the blight and all that. He gets there, he gets his eyesight back, and he immediately goes to preaching, and they didn't like him. So they threatened to stone him and kill him. And so he has to go out a window, out of the back side of the wall, off the town in a basket. So if you think your ministry hasn't gone well, consider Paul. You know, his didn't go well either to start with. Uh, it ended in failure. But he says in Damascus, the governor under uh, Ariadus the king was guarding the city um, of Damascus with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through the window in the wall and I escaped from his hand. So he says, look, I've gone through a bunch of stuff all the way around. So he, he adds that little story in here. Now, he's going to, all this ties together. Cause, so first he brags about the physical things he's just gone through in life. Life's been hard, guys. Second thing, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. True. Now, uh, some scholars say that little phrase should have been attached to the last of chapter 11. Others say, no, it belongs right here. It does seem to go better with the end of 12. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. In all of that, what we just read, it really does us no good to boast. He's making that point for the, that'd be the third time. Then, period, he comes to chapter 12, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. So second point he wants to make, 
I am actually just as spiritual as all these other guys. He's still on the same point. We divide this up and make little messages out of it because it's cool. But if you'll back up and look at all of what we're reading this morning, he's, he's all combating the falsehoods out there and saying, okay, I've gone through a lot. It doesn't do me any good to boast. Second thing, visions and revelations. Let's talk about that. If somebody wants to say they're more spiritual, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or whether out of the body, I don't know. God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. So interesting story he's going to tell us about here. Remember I told you earlier, Paul was in Lystra 14 years earlier, and he was stoned and left for dead. And uh, he may, uh, during that time of deadness, um, have been uh, uh, in a place where he saw this vision. We don't really know. That's the best guesses that are out there. Um, But while he was stoned, he has this vision of heaven. That came out wrong. He wasn't stoned, but anyway, he was stoned. Uh, Yeah, it's good when you say a joke and you don't even know it. Um, Third heaven, that's that's something we ought to talk about. Um, The uh, Jews, the reason he says that here, it's not some weird new teaching on heaven, so I haven't had a new revelation this morning. <laughs> the first heaven, they said, was the air that was right here above. The second heaven was where the stars are. The third heaven is, is spiritual where God resides. That's how the, the Jews would say it. So he says that here. He was caught up to the third heaven, in other words, heaven where God is at. And uh, He's saying this in such a way that we don't know whether this is Paul or not. I mean, we'll read on. I know such a man, so that tells us he knows the guy. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. And that's why a lot of people say it's when he was stoned, uh, left for dead over there. It's because he was out of his body, and then God gave him this vision during this time. Um, And whether he, he, again, write what he says. He doesn't know if he was still in his body having a vision or if he was actually caught up to heaven and saw these things. But verse 4, he was caught up into paradise, and he heard inexpressible words, it's not, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, one side note here, um, caught up, that word right there, is uh, harpazo in the Greek, which is where we get the word rapture from in the uh, Latin Bible. So if you're ever wondering where do we get the word caught up, you know, rapture for the church that's later used, this is it. And um, uh, it, it means to be caught up uh, very quickly. You know, Paul was here and then he was up there, if it was Paul that he's himself he's referring to. So that's an interesting thing. The other thing that I would like to point out, you know, and as a pastor, I get this uh, have through the years. Y'all will probably run up against this. Uh, in life, but you'll see a, a book come out, you know, and it'll be the 14 days that I was in heaven. Uh, you know, there was a boy that wrote a book not too long ago, and he was talking about being in heaven. And then they come back, and they explain it. They write all about it. And, and I guess I always sort of question it. Um, I look at it because it says here that he was caught up into paradise And he heard, so he says he heard some things, inexpressible words. That that doesn't make sense, guys. Inexpressible. In other words, 
words that couldn't be spoken, but he heard them. What? Paul, what are you saying? Well, just what he says. He heard inexpressible words. Then he adds, it's not lawful for a man to utter. I can't, in other words, it's, it's unlawful by heaven's words for me to tell you what I heard there. Well, here's my quandary. The modern people that write the books, um, is it lawful for you? <laughs> it's not lawful for Paul to tell us what he heard in heaven, but it's lawful for you. It's interesting that when the book of Daniel was written, when the book of Revelation was written, God specifically said, seal these things up until the end times. Seal them up. He didn't even want us knowing what was going to happen here on earth until years later. So I guess what I would say just as a pastor, I'm not saying that these folks haven't been to heaven and come back, but biblically speaking, they're on the thinnest of ice. Okay? I would say uh, walk carefully as you're looking at those kind of books and things. Most of what I need to know about heaven is right here in my word, and I'm good with that. I've spent so far my life studying the Bible, I still don't know it all. You know, every time I read through, there's more and more and more that I keep getting. I don't need more works. So that's just a side, a side thing this morning. But he says in verse 5, of such a one I will boast. So as I said, Paul's still in the same thing, boasting First about what he's gone through in life. Now about he's very spiritual. God took him up to heaven against others. I mean, how can you compare yourself to this? Uh, Such a one I'll boast. Yet of myself I won't boast except in my infirmities. He says it yet again. I'm not going to boast about this, but I'm pretty spiritual. But think what you will. For though I may desire to boast. Isn't he interesting here that he's speaking your heart this morning? Because when I come up against somebody, oh, do I desire to boast. Oh, it just, it's all over me. You know, I remember back when I, uh, I worked out quite a bit back in the day. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And I, I can say that it was easy to boast. Because if you can outdo somebody, it's just so in your face. I remember back when I was, uh, you know, I worked on a ranch and I was cowboying. And certain talents, you know, you have to have a good body to do, and I was fairly good at it. And I, it's just, it's a cowboy thing. I mean, you just, you, you poke your chest out and you boast about the things that you can do. And it is human. You've all the same thing. I mean, whatever we're good at, we really like other people to know, don't we? And so Paul says, oh, I might desire to boast. As Christians, we still want to. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not still human and still fleshly still physical, still you, you're still a sinner. You're just a saved one. That's the only difference. And uh, I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. I'll speak the truth. But I refrain, he says. So he's kind of talking, he's thinking and, and talking it out and writing it down, which I'm glad he did. It's kind of all over the place, but it's showing his heart. I'll refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be. What he sees me to be. Well, we already talked about his physical infirmities. He says, I don't want you to see me for any more than what you see right now. That's it. All the other stuff, just, I'm so spiritual. Woohoo, you know, I've gone through so much stuff in life. Big deal. I'll just, let me talk about my in, infirmity because he's, he's going to get to that. Um, verse 7. 
this section, uh, a lot of your Bibles might even section it out and say it's the thorn in the flesh. He's going to talk about this. He says, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of those revelations. So that kind of tells me that was him in those other verses. It was his revelation that he had been to heaven and seen these things. A thorn in the flesh was given to me. Now, interesting, he says, it's a thorn in the flesh. Now, we think of a thorn, you know, I'm from West Texas, so I think of a mesquite thorn, first thing that comes to mind, Um, you know, and they're about that long. And you think, well, if you took that thorn and you stuck it in you, that's a thorn in the flesh, right? Um, And that hurts, by the way. Um, One time I was uh, chasing a cow that I had bought out of a cell barn through the pasture at a high rate of speed. Uh, horseback and was just about to rope said cow and I ran through a mesquite bush and you know when I went through this bush I did it all the time and you wore thick uh, uh, leather leggings and you know your boots and everything but this thorn went in the toe of my boot through the boot through the leather through you know cowboy boots they've got a toe box you know in the front went through the whole thing and into my big toe. Thankfully, the joint stopped the thorn. Um, but um, I don't know it had come out the other side, but it, I mean, it buried. And um, I tell you, I, I've been in a lot of pain from a lot of other things that were more, uh, you know, pressing than this thorn in the big toe. But I mean, I, I was in such pain, I, I couldn't move. And so I roped the cow, jerked the cow down, got off the horse, laid down on top of the cow, tied the cow down, and was talking to this cow while I then tried to pull this thorn out of my... It was the only place to sit. Um, so I sat on the cow and did operation on my, on my toe. So it was... A thorn in the flesh is a big deal. However, this isn't talking actually about a thorn. In the Greek, this word for thorn is tent stake. Try a tent stake out. I mean, I'm thinking, oh, I've had a thorn. I thought that was good enough. He says, nope. This is the, the idea here is I've been giving a tent stake driven into me somewhere. Painful. Life-altering is what he's saying. He says, this is, this is something large. It's, and then he says, this is what it is. It's a messenger of Satan to buffet me. You know, what does that mean? Well, it's something that the enemy did to Paul. That's what he's saying. He, he has that realization and it's something to buffet me what does that mean well if you've ever have you ever been around um a grinding wheel what does it do it grinds right it slowly tears into whatever you're grinding and you would say well it's going to demolish it right my granddad was a uh, gunsmith and uh so he had all these buff machines not that doesn't mean heavy. It means a buff, you know. If you've been around like lathes and all that stuff, he had all these machines in his shop, and so he would polish gun parts and uh, that he worked on. And the idea with a grinding wheel, something that buffs, yes, it takes the outside edges off, but it also would smooth out the imperfections, takes the rust off, cleans it up gets it ready for the processes, a bluing process or whatever he was doing, but it cleans. The thing that that this is going to do on Paul's life as we read ahead is it's going to buff 
him out. The idea is it's going to grind on him. Yes, take away part of him, but it's also going to shine him up. It's going to rough out those imperfections. You've heard in the scripture, it says iron, you know, sharpens iron. And a lot of that, that's sort of the idea here. This thing, he says, it's a messenger of Satan. We would say, well, that's a very bad thing. But what did it do to him? Well, it didn't take him out. It polished him up. It, it buffeted him. Lest I be exalted above measure. So he says, and then this was the purpose. If I had stayed as I was before going through all of the stuff and then having this tent stake drove through my life, I would have been exalted above measure. You're like, well, what's wrong with that? Well, we'll read on. He says, this was an issue for him. Okay? And this gives me, you know, an idea of what do we do with things like this in our life. He says, concerning this thing. So he didn't say concerning everything, concerning the other thing. He says, concerning this thing. <laughs> I pleaded. That's praying. But it's a different word than just praying. It's pleaded. It's, it's the tears before the Lord. I pleaded with the Lord. And he doesn't say one time. You know, he says three times that it might depart from me. So tells me several things. Paul prayed, and he prayed repeatedly for the same thing. And he's an apostle. It means that's a good idea for us when things come into our life to pray repeatedly for the same thing. But then he said to me, that would be the Lord. Now we don't know if he said it to him, because it doesn't say that in a literal sense here, that, that the Lord spoke these words to him, or did he let him know this through circumstance? We don't know. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So you have to sort of look at what he's saying here. My grace. Well, what is, what is the Lord's grace? This doesn't mean like uh, my grace to leave you alone. The grace of the Lord is this, that Jesus came and died on the cross so I've given you grace because I've saved your soul from hell. And you're going to live in paradise forever. Remember the vision that he just had of paradise. Inexpressible words, whatever that is, uh, that were spoken there. And it unlawful to say the things that, that were heard and seen there in heaven. In other words, it was so great that he, he didn't have the words and it was unlawful to share it. And he says, my grace is that I saved you from where you were going to this new thing where you are going to heaven for eternity. That's my grace. And uh, the same grace that he's given to all of us to get through whatever he's put in front of us. My grace, it's sufficient. I like that word sufficient because I never like to say in life something is enough. Sufficient's a good word. When it comes to money, it's never enough, is it? I mean, really? I like money, I think. I haven't ever had a whole lot of it, but, you know, I would try it. Um, you know, I will say this. There's a verse in the Bible that says that, that, that your money, it takes up wings and it flies away. Never a truer verse in all of Scripture. I mean, you finally get some of it and whew, it's gone. Um, here's the thing, you know, money, if you ever say it's enough, I'm happy. You're, not, you're never happy. If you have a million dollars, you want, you want two million. I mean, if, if you, whatever, wherever you are in your accounts, you just want more, more, more. Sufficiency isn't about a number. 
all of a sudden you can get happy and say, I'm sufficient with very little. Are your needs met? He said, you know, I'll, I will meet your needs. Pray for our daily bread. Are you hungry? You know, if you're sufficient, what a good place to be. I mean, that is, that is a spiritual position that we all want to be in, to be able to look at others and go, you know, I'm better than I deserve, and I'm sufficient. His grace is sufficient. That's a great place to get. And so he says, the Lord told me that his grace was sufficient. That's all you need. My strength, so the Lord's strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now, that's something that for each of us, we're going to have to work that out in our own lives. What does that look like? We've all got different weaknesses. You all, as we read through this stuff, uh, you're going you're gonna to see yourself in something that Paul said. He almost covered every base. You're going to see yourself there, that you've got a weakness somewhere. Your tent stake's going to look different than mine. We all have things we go through. Paul brags so we don't have to. And I'm not that kind of person. You know, I don't like to get up here and brag. Most of my stories are, are really sort of to put me in a bad light, not to brag on everything I've done. And that's a good mark, I would say, going ahead in life. Brag about what Jesus has done in your life, not about what you have overcome. If you get into that little, uh, it's a bad place to get, where you're an overcomer. You're not an overcomer. I'm sorry to bust your bubble this morning, but if you didn't have Jesus, if you didn't have hope at the end of your life, I'll, let me tell you how it goes. You will be sufficient in something where you say, I'm everything right here. If you're a good businessman, well, you may have money problems, but not I. You will eventually. Something's going to happen that's going to challenge that position. Now, your wisdom will pull you through it, but you're going to have challenges. Uh, no one in this world is going to get through this world without having iron on iron. It, it, it's, this whole thing called life is a, is a pot of resistance, good and bad, things rubbing on us. If you think your health is amazing, um, trust me, I know that one, it can be challenged. And it's not your fault. People will tell you it's your fault. People will tell you it's because you were a sinner. Uh, people, all these things. No, it's life. It happens to us, but it's going to challenge you. And I would further add this, you know, and this was how my life has gone. The places where you think you're the strongest and that you could never fail there. You know, you're, in other words, you've got, you've built a fortress around that part of your life, whether it's your finance, your health, your marriage, whatever. That's the very thing that will come under attack. We always think it's where we're the weakest. It's never where we're the weakest. You know why? Because in your weakness, you depend on Christ there. It's crazy. You know, I, I can admit that I don't know how to raise kids. You say, what? You raised three of them. I know. Um, once I had kids, I realized I'm not a very good parent. Now, if you'd asked me when I was 19 years old, are you a good parent? Oh, I will be. Uh, Beth and I would have gone on and on and on about all the things that we were going to do, how we were going to raise our kids. We'd really knew a lot. I mean, we were brilliant at 19, uh, you know, coming into 20. But once we had kids, we really felt stupid. Um, you know, I remember coming home from the hospital and you have your first one and she's laying there at night and you can't even sleep during the night because is she breathing? Back in those days, it was the sudden infant death syndrome was making all the news 
And so we were worried, because we didn't know much about it, about sudden infant death in our home. So, you know, we would wake up and lay in bed. Do you hear her breathing? You know, I don't. <gasps> you know, the, the panic to the crib. And um, we were terrible. I mean, but we were, we were all in. But we realized through doing it that we didn't know what we were doing. We depended on God over and above. Because that was our prayer. God, this is a challenge. We do not know what we're doing. You know what? God came through. So our kids, they're all alive today. And, um, you know, we didn't kill one of them. We've, we've raised them so, thus far. But even today, you know, through the years, as you, as you have children, things change and you're at a new stage. And, and they say, well, you've been a parent, you know, when they're 10. You've been a parent for 10 years. You had not figured it out. Well, I'm great at being a parent to a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9-year-old, but now you're 10. I have no idea what I'm doing. It's the first time I've ever had a 10-year-old, and so on and so forth. It's always brand new, and about the time you figure it out, it's over. But the thing is, see, it's because it's a challenge. And all you parents, I say that because we all relate, because we all feel like we stink when it comes to being a parent. If you don't feel like you stink, give it a year or two, you will. Um, You know, you, you just... You're on the rock. So you go to the Lord. You say, I'm weak here. And so God comes through. But the place in life where you say, I'm strong here, you don't put as much effort there, right? And um, so those are the places that you get challenged. And God causes you to be weak there so that his strength can come through. So don't ever look at your failures, your weaknesses, as truly weaknesses and failures. Those are the places where, given time, God will eventually shine through. Don't give up on people around you when you see them struggling in their weaknesses. Know that those weak areas are going to be the place that... They're, they're gonna, it's a ministry to other people around, in fact. And um, it, it, it's those places, truly, where God will use somebody. And I, I've, I've gotten to where I just quit judging people. you know, cause, And I do that in a good way, but I'll see somebody and go... Oh, God's going to use you because you're so good here, but you stink over here. And God always does the opposite of what I tell him to. You know, he says, no, we're not going to use them for that, even though they are great. It's the weak area. That's the area I'm going to work with this individual. So, you know, today, and I know you're going to try to cite God out when we leave here and go, God, I'm really weak in this area. And you're going to try to cite God out. Don't do it. It won't work. Um, but he says then, this is his, his resolution, and I like this. I really like this. It's a good place to be uh, ending today because he says, therefore. So he went through all this bragging, and he comes to this point. He says, therefore, most gladly. So he says, this is the attitude I'm going to have as I tell you this point. I'm going to do this very gladly. I'm going to boast in my infirmities. You've said that three times. Yes, from three different perspectives. Uh, he talked about going through stuff. He's not going to be that Christian. Oh, you think your trial's big. Let me tell you something. That doesn't help anybody. He says, nope, not going to boast like that to you. Think about it. Does that help you? If somebody comes up and says, I broke my rib, it really hurts. You're like, that's nothing, you baby. I broke five ribs one time. Like, that doesn't help anybody. So he says, I'm not going to boast in what I've gone through. And uh, there's a, a good quote, if I can remember it. Uh, Don't make someone else's Calvary a molehill. Okay? You know what a molehill is? The, the, the mole, you know? 
So somebody's got their Calvary in life, and it's like, it's the cross I bear. And they come and they tell you their thing, and you go, it's a molehill. It's nothing. You ought to see my hill. It's a mountain, what I have to go through. And that is bad counsel. Don't, if, you, if you think you're going in the counseling business, you stink if that's you. Don't do it. So he says, that's, that's bad. He says, then you don't like the guy that comes to you and says, well, spiritually, where are you? Oh, well, I have visions of jelly beans, this, that, you know, whatever. You're like, oh, yeah? Well, let me best you. I've had a vision of heaven. Can you best that? He says, I'm not going to best you on that. He's doing this all foolishly, so you don't have to. Then he says, uh, well, the other, the third thing here is this tent stake (laughs) that I've got through my life. He says, I'm going to boast in my infirmity. I'm going to say, look at where I'm the weakest. Why? Not because I'm going to revel in it, he says, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, and in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, not to make me look better, And then I underline this in my Bible because it's very important. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So it says all these false teachers, backing up to last week's message, all these false teachers boasting on themselves, I could do more so, but I would rather tell you about the weakest part of me, the weakest part of my life, because that's where I can show you that God came through. Think of it this way. Children of Israel, you know the story in Exodus they're, they're, they come out of Egypt. And if you look at a map, sometime look at it, you've got the Sinai Peninsula, okay? So they come out of Egypt, and they come, and they, they swoop down for some reason. And I'm thinking, who's leading you here? Well, when we read the, the Bible, we find out it was the Shekinah glory cloud of the Lord leading them, fiery pillar uh, of fire at night, cloud by day, and they're just following God. And God did a bad job. Um, he, he goes across here, and instead of going straight into Israel, he takes this detour, and he goes south. And then he runs into the ocean. You know, the, the Red Sea has two legs there. So he runs into the ocean. We know from reading our Bible story, there are two big mountains on both sides of them there. Sea in front of them. And then, alas, we find that The Egyptians are chasing them. You all know the story. So they find themselves literally between a rock and a hard place. And the people start griping. They say, you led us, Moses, into a bad place. We're going to die here. And now they're in a bad place. They're in a weak position. I would not have put them there. Moses probably wouldn't have either, but he said, it's not me, the Lord. He led us here. He's allowed this to happen to us. We have the sea on one side, a mountain and a mountain. We're between it. Pharaoh's armies boiling down, coming, coming hard towards us. And then we all know the story. God pressed the uh, uh, people into the Red Sea after he splits it. They walk across on dry land. What's my point here? Well, if they had been in a strong position, God would never have needed to split the Red Sea in front of them. His power would have never been felt if he had led them like I think he should have, which is straight across, you see. He led them where he wanted them to be into a weak position. 
He put him there to show them his hand and to show the Egyptians his hand. So what's he doing with your life and mine? Same thing. He leads us. There was obviously a better pathway for your life and for mine. We could all see it and we could tell God about it. God, if you had done this and this, my life would have been easier. If you had done this and this, it would have been better. And God would say, it's by design. There's a weakness that I'm going to put you in on purpose so that everyone can see my mighty hand. And how is he going to see your hand? Am I telling you you're going to be healed of whatever ails you? No, I'm not. They didn't see the way forward. You know, if I'd been there with the Israelites, I'd have been praying for rafts. Lord, (laughs) I need a raft uh, real quick. You know, I don't care how big it is, just big enough for me. I mean, I just need a raft. He said, no, that's not the solution. I'm going to work in a way you've never seen before. And that's what he does times a hundred, times a thousand, times tens of thousands in all of our lives. He works in a way that we've never seen before. And those that are around you and those that are around me will see that. And they'll see God as you are living out your faith for him. In your weakness, his strength is going to be seen. And so in our church, in our personal lives, this is a great passage. It is encouraging to me. Uh, Obviously, with what I have gone through uh, with my health, you know, as of late, this means a lot to me. It means that I don't know what's ahead, but I know that God knows and he's going to use it for his glory. And I know in looking at this church and all of you as I get to know you, God has a reason for everything that you're going through. And if you will keep your faith in the Lord, be willing to share your position and your situation around you for prayer uh, that other Christians could see and get encouragement from what you are going through. The tent stakes that are in all of our lives are there by design. And I'll also say, because this is the question that you'll ask after the study, but it wasn't God. It was it was. a a messenger of Satan. The things that the enemy puts in our lives, God allows. Read Job. God allows those things and he'll take what the enemy meant for bad and he'll turn them around and he'll use them for good.